right. I hope everybody's having a good 4th of July, even though you guys probably stay home, did nothing, but <laughs> I'm pretty sure we all did that. So um, before we start, let's uh, do a quick prayer, and we'll start. Um, dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much just for this beautiful Sunday. Um, even during this pandemic, some of us are able to come to church. Some of us are able to come to your house to worship you, Lord. Others are watching through social media, media, different media devices. But, Lord, we're still here in one spirit. And in that one spirit, I ask you, Lord, to help me deliver this message. And uh, we just pray all these things in your name. In Jesus' name pray, amen. So my sermon title is called Spiritual Disciplines, and do you practice them? I'm going to first read the first uh, verse for us. It says, have nothing to do with irrelevant, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. I think, uh, yeah, during this whole COVID-19, I've been lacking a lot of discipline. <laughs> um, discipline in uh, my diet, eating a lot of food, gaining a lot of weight. Um, reading the Bible not as uh, intently as I used to. Um, maybe just opening up a couple of pages here and there, reading it for like tops five minutes sometimes, putting it aside. Um, Praying even, um, we'll do the we'll do um, meal prayers and then I literally just like just close my eyes for like two seconds, right? Open it back up, and I prayed, right? Pray for the meal, but that's that's not what you, I've never heard of a two second prayer for a meal, right? It should be Thanksgiving. It should be a little bit more than just two seconds and closing your eyes and uh, just an act of symbolism. So. We have a lot of times on our hands, right? Um, a lot of us have much more time, and a lot of us may have a little, a little less time. But I think during this time of, um, I guess you can say a break or, or uh, a departure from your regular life, I believe you can really, really um, try to learn some spiritual disciplines, or at least practice them, because I know a lot of you guys already know spiritual disciplines. And I, I could go on and write like a whole like 20-page paper on all the different spiritual disciplines, but I really only chose, I think, five? Five of the ones that I believe are maybe the most beneficial. Well, I don't want to put a label on it, but for me, it was the most important. So I think, yeah, those fives are the most important to me, and I'm going to start off with our very first spiritual discipline. And the very first, uh, very first spiritual discipline is mutual submission. And when I was first coming up with this, uh, this point, mutual submission, I was also thinking about adding um, servant leadership to the side as well. But I was thinking about it, and not everybody is going to be a leader. So, but everybody will be a servant. And everybody will have to mutually submit to somebody. And in Mark 9:35 says, sitting down, Jesus called the 12 and said, anyone who wants to be the first must be the very last and the servant of all. So Jesus right there was already saying, don't think about being first. 
being first is not an honor or prestige, but being the servant is the honor. So you guys might be asking, what is mutual submission? You guys might be asking that question. Well, mutual submission, as um, Paul would put it, would be loving servitude. To put oneself under another. To be a servant of all. A A more extreme way to put it would be to be a slave for Christ and for one another. So mutual submission, in a way, is all about humility. It takes humility to constantly put yourself beneath somebody or to serve somebody. And 1 Peter 5.5 reminds us of this humility it takes to submit to one another. In the same way, you young ones be subject to the elders. All of you should close yourself with humility toward one another for God. Opposes the, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. You see that you can see straight from this verse they talk about humility. And humility is a huge, huge component of mutual submission. But I also think it's pretty funny because this verse highlights the kind of role changes all of us will endure at, at one point in the church. All of us were young. I remember all of us were running around little kids. We became youth group. And then now we're English ministry, and some of us will come and will become part of the KM or adult, adult ministry, right? So all of us were young, and all of us will become old, too. But the character trait of mutual submission and humility is a trait that will never change, whether you're young, whether you're old. And it's a discipline that has to be practiced. An author um, that I was reading, his name is Alan G. Paget, and he was talking about these roles, and he has this quote, and he says, the role we play as young person or elder in the church will change, but the virtue of humility is constant and reflects the character of the believer. So the practice of mutual submission is something that has to be ingrained into your personhood. Practice. It's supposed to be who you are as a Christian. It's supposed to be a trait of a follower of Jesus. You know, the Greek word for submission is, um, there was a couple ones, but the one I found that matched uh, what mutual submission most meant was uh, called hypotasso. Sorry, I'm bad. I haven't practiced Greek in a while, but which can take on a sense of uh, voluntary submission to another to another person out of humility, comparison, or love. You know, this is not the type of submission that we are talking about in the negative English way, right? In the English way, we have this negative um, thought of the word submission. Um, we think of submission to, to cede power, to cede, um, to cede yourself to somebody else, to make yourself weaker. But this negative idea of submitting and giving away the power of authority, the Western, Western world really, really messed up that word because 
the word submitting and submission in the Bible is completely, completely different type of word. You know, hypotasso is such a beautiful word, and to label it to something as acting in love or being thoughtful to another, I don't think really does it complete justice. It's more than, uh, it's more than um, self, I mean, it's more than acting in love. It's more than being thoughtful and doing justice to somebody else. It's really, really looking for the interests of the other, to putting yourself under that person, to, to um, yeah, just to ask what they need. You know, mutual submission is also something much more sacrificial than what I explained. And you can really just see the example of Jesus as the example of um, self-submission, of mutual submission. Jesus was the epitome of mutual submission. As he submitted to the church himself, right? You guys might be asking, what? Jesus submitted himself to the church? Don't we submit to the church? No. He actually lowered himself into that of a servant, right? Died on the cross as the lamb goes to get killed. He died for our sins, and he lowered himself for the church so the church can be glorified through his submission, his submission as a servant to go to the cross and die. You know, he even washed the feet of his disciples who would become the church fathers. And we know um, the feet was the dirtiest part in those days. And for Jesus to actually go and wash the feet of the servants, he was putting himself to the ultimate level of servanthood. And, uh, yeah, this ideal and discipline of mutual submission is actually so great that Paul uses the word forensis to describe Jesus as the standard. And uh, forensis meant the way of thinking, like a philosophy almost. And you know how important in the Greco-Roman world philosophy was, right? Aristotle, Socrates, uh, Aurelius the Great, whatever it is, um, they were so into like uh, philosophy. But Jesus was saying the philosophy of the church is, I know Paul was saying the philosophy of the church is to imitate the mutual submission that Jesus shows. For me, this is why it's so, so important to practice mutual submission as the church. Because the church is supposed to be modeled after Jesus. And if Jesus is to submit, to, to love one another, to be a mutual submitter, that's a mandate from Jesus himself. And that, for me, is enough because I want to be like Jesus. I want to imitate Jesus as much as possible to submit and to serve, to be a mutual submitter. Point number two is reading the scripture. This is uh, Timothy 3, 16, 17. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for the training in righteousness that the man of God may be competent and equipped for every good work. You know, I can go on and all these cliches, right? This is the weapon. This is the word of life. This is the bread. 
insert food imagery, insert weapon imagery. Um, yeah, these are all things that are correct, correct and things that should be revered about the Bible. And uh, yeah, those are all things that you should read the Bible for. But I'm not talking about this in per se. I'm talking about reading the Bible with a strategy, reading with the discipline. And I, for me, I think I left my Bible back over there. <laughs> but I no, you, you don't need to bring it. But I had a Bible, and it's a it's a study Bible. And I think um, getting a study Bible is honestly one of the best ways, really, to fully observe the words, in my opinion. And I think it's very important, right, to take the time daily to set aside to put some to read some scripture, whether it's a line, two lines, three lines, a chapter, whatever it is, I believe it, the discipline of reading scripture every day is of the utmost importance. And you know devotionals are great, right? But that cannot possibly truly replace that sacred book. Those things are mostly crutches. If you just read that and not the Bible, I don't know. You're not really going to get what the full message of the Bible is. You're just going to really get what that devotional says. So really, this discipline, I'm really urging you guys to take the reading of the Bible as seriously as possible, right? In a quiet place, possibly even. Or, or alone or in a group. But make the reading of the Bible a sacred time in a sacred space. When using, um, you know, as I mentioned, when using those study Bibles, if you uh, look underneath, there's a whole bunch of notes underneath the scripture. And those things are golden nuggets. I don't know if you guys just read the scriptures or not and you don't read the bottom, but let me tell you, if you start to read the bottom as well as when you read the scripture, those, the scripture and uh, the meaning is much more clear. And, and I believe it's a discipline to read both. Because that's the way you can, pop, you can get the, what is the full message of the scripture. And um, I have an example. I was reading uh, the Bible and they were talking about something called the Pool of uh, Siloam. And I was like, what in the world is the Pool of Siloam? So I went down and I looked down into the, um, to the notes, found it, and there was different, uh, different references of the Pool of Siloam. So I went and I found out what it was. So... That's just another benefit of reading that Bible with uh, discipline, reading the notes. But you guys may be saying, why should I be reading the Bible in this manner? I'm not going to be a pastor, right? I'm not, uh, what is it? I'm just a lay person. Well, what's your purpose of reading the Bible? Let me ask you that question. Is it to learn? To do, uh, is it to learn what the Bible is saying? Or, is, or do you just do it because that's what's... A, good Christians do. Look at the motive behind that reason of reading the Bible. You'll see the benefit of taking the reading of the Bible as not as a, as a task, but an opportunity to enrich your relationship with Jesus and to really just open your mind to the knowledge of um, the Bible. Even though you're not going to get the full knowledge of the Bible, you'll, you'll, you'll get a better understanding of it. So the message is simple here. For this point, take discipline in the reading of the Bible daily and with care and with sanctity, right? Because 
as uh, some of us might think, this isn't just some book from God, but it's a book that survived through thousands and thousands and thousands of years, right? It's an ancient manuscript. And whether you believe this book was written by God through men or a book written through some divine inspiration from God, this manual is one that you should be read daily, right? You know, there's that uh, acronym, Basic Instructions Before Leaving Earth. I hate that acronym. <laughs> but imagine if you did have basic instructions before leaving Earth. Wouldn't you read that every single day? I know I would. Or at least I try to read a page of it every single day. And, uh, yeah, I just want to mention some of the um, people from the Reformation. You know, Martin Luther... Zingli, uh, and um, some of these other uh, higher people thought so highly of the scripture, they had this term, and it was called the sola scriptura. But that term sola scriptura didn't come at that time, but till a little later. But the term sola scriptura meant the scripture alone. And they believed that the scripture alone was sufficient in getting to know God and salvation, because this is all in there. So it's, I, th I think it's a term we have long, long, long forgotten here. We have so many other forms of media, right? Being so influential. Um, podcasts, whatever it is. Sometimes I honestly feel like the Bible does take a back seat. And uh, I just want to imagine if we can go to that mindset of going back to that sola scriptura. My third point is corporate prayer. You know, Acts 12, 5 says, Peter therefore was kept in prison, but prayer was made without seizing of the church unto God for him. You know, Peter was, uh, go he, Peter was in jail, but all the people in the church sat there and prayed for him. And um, I could be mixing up the story, but I believe an angel came out and dragged him out or um, something along those lines. But God heard the prayer and sent an angel, right? And for me, you know, all prayer is definitely good. We both need prayer alone and Lord and prayer and community. But for me, I believe prayer and community is the most important and the most powerful, actually. Because Matthew 18.10 says, when, Where there are two or three gathered in my name, I am in the midst of them. That doesn't mean he's not in the midst of them in the single, but... I believe when we come as a corporate, corporate church, praying together as one unity and one body, that, that prayer, I can only imagine it being multiplied. You know, it's just, it's just, yeah. But I also want to say, however, we need to bear in mind that Lord does answer all prayers. Whether it's the answer you may have wanted or not, God does answer all prayers. And I have a story about this corporate prayer, these two, uh, two little mini stories. I went to YWAM, and uh, there was an organization called YWAM Ships. And YWAM Ships, they go, around the, they go around the oceans in these ships, and they go to, like, islands and stuff, and they, they help the people there, and they do all sorts of things. And there was a ship that was on sale. I forget how much it was. It was... It was something that was no way that YWAM would be able to pay for. So 
people of YOM, for like three, two months, they came and they prayed together corporately every single day. And <laughs> for, I don't want to say, I don't want to believe it, but all of them said, they said they found, they heard the exact same name of the boat. And that, that name of the boat was, um, we'll just say, for example, the Victoria or something. And um, they're like, yeah, there's a boat called the Victoria, and um, we've all heard this, you know, we all heard this. And so they kept corporately praying, praying, and then all of a sudden, just one day out of nowhere, they get a phone call from a, from a donor from the UK. And he says, I have no idea why, but God told me to give you like $70,000 or something like that. And that was the amount for the boat. And uh, through their corporate prayer, they were able to, you know, just get that boat. And that's just, the, that's just the power of corporate prayer. And I believe even in, even in our church, I think we can, you know, uh, corporate, corporately pray more. I think that's something that's very important. Um, something maybe we don't do as much, but something we can definitely start doing. And uh, it's never too late to start because corporate prayer is so, so strong. And my last little story was... Um, I'm pretty sure you've heard this many times. Lost my wallet. I always lose my wallet, right? But I lost my wallet. Uh, pretty much gave up on finding it. And uh, just a group of my friends said, you know what, Eugene, let's go. Let's go pray. And I said, whatever, man. I'll go pray with you, whatever. I, I didn't believe it. And then we came together. I think it was about eight of us. We prayed. We got done praying, literally. A minute after praying, I got a phone call saying someone found my wallet. <laughs> So that's just another example of the power of corporate prayer. And I'm sure there's so, 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 so many more examples of the power of corporate prayer, right? But yeah, man, corporate prayer, something that's something very, very powerful and very, something very, very important and a very, very important spiritual discipline that we all do need to practice. Now, fasting. This is the one I felt guilty the most about. Because fasting sucks. Let's get real here, right? Fasting does suck. I don't know anyone who enjoys uh, depriving themselves of food, water. But, you know, I think I man, I, <laughs> I, I, I was uh, talking to Janet earlier today, and I was like, yeah. I, uh, I looked at myself in the mirror a couple weeks. Got, I was looking a little fat, so, <laughs> so I, I did a little fast. But that fast is not what I'm talking about, right? Because fasting, fasting isn't about dieting. But it's really about giving away power. Giving away the influence of food, right? Making yourself weak to find strength in God. So I feel, you know, like I said, I feel bad talking about fasting since maybe I've only done it once or twice and... Uh, when we did, uh, the last one I did do was like a 24-hour famine back, back, back in the day. And I think I cheated, ate Doritos or something. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's honestly really, really, really hard. But there is something to the discipline of fasting. It's because through discipline of fasting, you seek strength through Jesus, through deprivation of the world, food, um, water sometimes even, Right? 
I'm not saying go straight ascetic. That's not what I'm saying. But go seek strength through Jesus through deprivation of the world. Because it's really good to practice these things because it really reminds you of your own weakness and the need to draw and ask for strength through Jesus. You know, fasting can also come before a great task that God might have in store for you guys. Maybe you're going through a rough relationship. Try fasting. Maybe you're encountering a result that could change the course of your life. Try fasting. You know, I'm going to name three men. These three men all fasted 40 days. I wouldn't recommend fasting for 40 days because you'd probably die. <laughs> but these guys are, you know, something else from the Bible. And um, each fasted for the purpose because God was setting something for them, something great for them to happen in their ministries. The first person was at Moses. Moses fasted for 40 days. I think, uh, I, I, uh, I haven't read the story in a little while, but I think Moses for, fasted 40 days while up in the Mount Sinai before um, getting the tablets. I don't know, is that right? Yes, getting the stone tablets. And he needed those 40 days to, because God was giving this, him the law, right? This is, yeah, so Elijah also fasted for 40 days. He was a... Uh, I think he was, in the, he was in the cave and he heard God whisper. But before uh, Elijah fasted for 40 days, I mean, because, I mean, the reason Elijah fasted for 40 days, my, um, my story could be wrong again, but I believe he went to, uh, this was his encounter in Mount Caramel with the, with the other uh, prophets, Baal, right? And through that, Elijah was to triumph and show that God was the God of Israel. God was the top dog, and Baal was nothing. And then we see Jesus, right, after his uh, baptism. He goes to the wilderness for 40 days, and he's been tempted. He's been tempted as a man, and even through his humanity, he, he had the strength from God. He's, he's, he's uh, quoting out scripture to, to the devil himself. And, I mean, Jesus, fasting for 40 days, all three men fasted for 40 days, and all each men had a great, great task in front of them. So, sometimes fasting could be a way of God preparing you for something great in your life. So see fasting as maybe a discipline you should try. Just a couple of times a year, if it's possible, you know? Of course, though, if you're diabetic... Or if you have health issues which do not like fast, be smart and wise about it. There's no need to die fasting when people could get, you know, especially during this pandemic time, right? When you can get immunocompromised from uh, fasting. You don't want to be dying from COVID or anything like that. But really, when you're able to fast, take it as a privilege that you are able to fast and to seek strength from the Lord. Confessing sin and forgiving others. First John 9 says, if we, forgive, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us 
from all unrighteousness. It says if we confess our sins, right? Honestly, I want you guys to just really, really think about it. When you guys are praying, how many times are you praying and asking for forgiveness of your sins? Or is it it most of the time where you're petitioning for something, asking for something? Because in my head, I think I counted over the week. I think I asked for forgiveness one time, right, through prayer. And... (laughs) Prayer, asking forgiveness through prayer, I think, is a, is a discipline that should be, be done every single day, right? When you confess your sins and you pray to God, that sin is uh, in your mind and you're, you're offering it to God. And God will, you know, cleanse you, cleanse you from all that unrighteousness. And Psalm 32, 5 says, I acknowledge my sin to you and I did not cover my, I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sins. Once again, it says, acknowledge your sins, and do not try to cover, cover it. God knows anyway whether you confess it or not. God saw what you did. So just confess it because it's biblical. And lastly, it says, John 22, 23. And when he said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Yeah, I mean, you know, God forgave us all, right? And some of us might find, us, find it incredibly, incredibly hard to forgive somebody in your life. Uh, whether they've backstabbed you, did something horrible, who knows? Who knows what it is? I don't know, right? I don't know the pain that you're feeling, and I don't know um, the depth of the backstab that you might have felt. But just think of it this way, right? All the previous verses said, if you, if you confess your sins, he will forgive your sins, right? But this one says, if you withhold us for forgiveness from any, It is withheld. So don't withheld your sin from anybody. Just think about it. God died on the cross for you. God got stabbed in the side. God got his skin flayed up. God got spit on. God got slapped on. Who knows what else they did to God, right? All to forgive you for your sins, right? And you're not going to be able to forgive that one person who backstabbed you in the back, even though Jesus went through this, like, incredible torture, just this unimaginable pain for me? That doesn't make sense, right? You've got to forgive that person. And even though it's not going to come easy with discipline, which is the thought of God in your head, with the thought of Jesus in your head, I guarantee you you'll be able to forgive that person. So I'm going to conclude my message by saying that, you know, Spiritual disciplines are incredibly important. Ones you should be practicing every single day. Um, That way, I believe, when you practice those spiritual disciplines, you are making yourself more and more an imitation of Jesus himself. So let's pray. Um, Yeah, dear Heavenly Father, we just lift you up during this time, Lord. Um, Thank you so much for all that you've done for us, died on the cross for us, Lord. Uh, we know spiritual disciplines are hard, aren't easy. But 
We know they're essential as, um, as followers of you, Lord, to imitate you, Lord. And I pray that um, though they probably won't come in one day, I pray during the course of our lifetime, Lord, our discipline, our spiritual discipline can only get stronger. I pray all these things in your name. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.